We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man Podcast, powered by Blue Wire. Shout out to the new company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You guys know where to follow me up on the whatever Elon Musk is calling that app these days. My at name has not changed. M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Shout out to everyone who follows and subscribes to our YouTube channel. Seahawks Man to Man is the name of the YouTube channel. That's Seahawks Man to Man. That's the number two. Man, we appreciate all of that love and support, even though I've been taking a little break. Um, to start the season, or at least start the off season. Welcome back. Glad to have you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the support. Chris, go ahead and talk to him. What is going on, everybody? It is your boy, Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that is CKID206. All right, we're back, you guys. Um, before we jump into the head coach hire, talk about uh, Mike McDonald, we just want to show, hey, guys, this is how much we love you. I am on paternity leave currently. We're still doing the show for y'all because we love you. I got my little baby monitor right here next to me as we're recording, and I'm headed out of the country tomorrow. By the time y'all hear this, Mike will have his toes in the sand. But we had to get this off because I love you. All right? Uh, Chris, give us the intro, man, about uh, what we're we, we talking about today. Who's the new guy they picked to replace Pete? Well, you know, I, I almost want to say Mac McDonald, but it's actually Mike McDonald. He is the former defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. He is now the Seahawks head coach. And if you guys remember, the Ravens defense been a problem for a lot of teams all season. Hell, if you just watched the AFC championship game, you saw what that defense was able to do to a Patrick Mahomes holding Patrick and that offense to zero points in the second half. They only had 17 in the game. That is not an easy feat. The Seahawks are very aware of what he's capable of. He held the Seahawks to three points. The Seahawks went, I think, one of 12 on third downs. Mike and I did a whole podcast exclusive breaking down what the hell happened. And it was just the Ravens being able to get pressure on Geno. You know, I'd be able to run the football. Guys aren't getting open. It was just a mess. So what does John Snyder do? He says, you know what? I like what you did. I hate that you did it against us. <laughs> but with this head coaching vacancy, we feel now you can fill that void, come in, and really push this team to where we want to be, which is, I assume, a Super Bowl champion in the next two to three seasons, if not next year. So what did the Seahawks do? They bring, oh, I'm going to screw it up, Mike McDonald in Mike for the McDonald. Team. There you go. Bruh, I'm Mike so, McDonald. I just hear, all I hear in my head is, oh, McDonald, and it's not that. So 
They bring in Mike McDonald for a second interview, and that's all she wrote. The news broke earlier this morning around 10.30 that he will be the new Seahawks head coach. And here we are now recording this late on a, well, almost said Saturday night, on a Wednesday night, giving you guys our insight. And, of course, we can get to Twitter questions because now it's a new regime and a new scheme. Old Out with the old, in with the new. Obviously, Pete Carroll was big on cover three, and he he expanded it this season, I think. Going back and watching film, we were able to see some of the things that he did differently, and it worked. It didn't work, but it just wasn't enough. And at some point, you got to make change, and that's what the Seahawks decided to do. They made change. They fired Pete or however you want to describe we, we it. We can call it a firing. It's fine. <laughs> it, it, yeah, he got fired. He got fired. It's cool. So with that being said, that position was what? open for three weeks, if I'm not mistaken, and now they have finally put an end to it. Now, the bigger question is, well, who's going to be the OC? Because we know that Shane is now with the Bears. The Bears, and then Clint Hurd is now the D-line coach with the Eagles. So guys are moving and shift, moving around. This opens up opportunities for does Mc... Like, here we go. McDonald have guys that he's going to bring Just in? Call or is that... Mike. Just call him Mike. It's fine. Well, but then I'm I'm talking to also another Mike. So this call him Coach Mike. He's Coach Mike. <laughs> you're you're helping me out here. You're making this yeah. very you're making it very easy. It's sounding easy. And then I, as soon as I start talking, I might screw up and call him Mac McDonald. But it's Mike McDonald, nonetheless. That's the that's the reason why we're on here tonight. And I think the biggest thing is there's a lot of questions that are going to be asked over the next few months, whether it's the draft, free agency. I'll just keep it real simple. John Schneider has final say. John Schneider will be the one that leans on Mike and says, what do you think? But at the end of it all, John Schneider is going to be saying yay or nay on these personnel decisions. And I'm interested to see how they do in the draft. I'm interested to see in free agency who's going to come in. Is he going to bring guys from the Ravens? Is he going to make those type of moves? Because that defense is really talented. Mike and I are talking off wax that Kyle Hamilton, tall nickelback that plays for the Ravens, he reminds, the game that he plays reminds us a lot of our favorite, Spoon. Obviously, Spoon's a little smaller, but the same impact and splash plays that we saw Kyle Hamilton make in the AFC Championship, hell, if you've been watching any of the Ravens football games, you would see number 14 doing his thing. That same skill set is shown with Devin Witherspoon. And now you bring in someone in Mike McDonald, I think that's just going to make him spoon that is even better. He won rookie of the year defensively. So now this is just going to take it to the next level and maybe get him an all pro. You know, he is that talented. So he didn't win yet, right? No, well, spoon didn't he's, he's, he's going to win. You think so? Yeah, I'm confident. Oh, okay. I don't I know if you're wrong. I don't know who's going to win. Just to be I, I could be wrong. I just know Mike, he hasn't. He hasn't yet. They give that out the day before the Super Bowl. I think that, that they give out the NFL awards. So yeah, I don't. I don't know if he's won yet. He should though. He has a good argument. Can we say book it? But nonetheless, I'm really excited just to see how this all looks. And the, the craziest thing is he's only what four or five years older than Mike and I. So he is he is doing his thing. Okay, he is a head coach, youngest coach in the NFL. I'm sure he wants. Oh, is he the youngest coach? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's the youngest coach in the NFL. So the Seahawks went from the oldest to now getting someone who is the youngest. And he's defensive-minded, obviously, something that Pete Carroll was. How much say will he have on the defense? Will he input? 
his thoughts on plays and whatever the case may be, I would I would guarantee he does that. And I'm sure he'll probably answer a lot of that in the press conference that is scheduled for Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that's what we have for you guys is the fact that the Seahawks finally got it done. They said, this is the guy we're going to go with, Mike McDonald. Was he the first choice? I couldn't tell you. Was he the second choice? I have no clue. It's not as if John's not going to come out tomorrow or in the next few weeks and say, yeah, Mike McDonald was our fourth choice, by the way, guys, and we got lucky to get him. That's just not how it works. They're going to talk it up and say he was probably the number one guy the whole way, and that's who they're happy and going with. And good for Mike McDonald. He has a chance now, six-year deal, to get something done, and that's a Super Bowl. Yeah, the pressure's on to get a Super Bowl, too. That was the uh, the difference between the Seahawks' job, I think, and some of the other jobs. Not to say that every, you know, every team wants to win a Super Bowl, but – it's real. It's more realistic in other places than, than for, for instance, the Seahawks feel that they are closer to a Super Bowl than I would guess that Gerard Mayo and the Patriots feel like. You know, as of today, you know, February first or whatever. Like I, I feel that I would confidently say that whoever the Commanders hire, that dude is not going to be under pressure. I don't think to win the Super Bowl his first year. You know, the Commanders have the number two or three pick for they have the number two pick. They have a number two pick for a reason, right? Because they stink. You know, they need a mm-hmm. complete overhaul. Same thing with um, someone else just got hired on a bad team. Oh, the Falcons, Raiders, both of those teams, not very good, right? Their new coaches are going to be given a little leeway. Not to say Mac McDonald's going to get fired right away um, if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, but you guys get the point. And Chris, you're not the only person struggling with his name, by the way. I was <laughs> I was getting tweeted for the last like week incorrect versions of this guy's name from people who wanted to hire him. Like we should hire McDonald. We should hire McDonald. It's like you want this guy so bad you can't even have take the time out to spell his name right. As someone whose name gets spelt and pronounced wrong quite often, I really, it's a huge pet peeve of mine. Like, especially if you're in favor of this guy, his name's not right. that hard. It's not something, uh, not to knock anyone whose name is like foreign, but his name's not like from another country. It's not like, you know, got a bunch of uh, consonants next to it. You know what I'm saying? It's not like Middle Eastern or Polynesian or something like that we're not used to. It's just McDonald. It's yeah. like the most American thing ever, you know? And how you can guys even be able to get this right? Uh, People where I feel like get Mike Mc, uh, Mike McDonald, Mike McDaniel, Josh mm. McDaniels was like that had some people just really struggling, uh, in particular with like McDaniel versus McDaniels in in Vegas before he got fired. Just a huge mess. Anyway, just to let you know you're not alone. Thanks. <laughs> you are you are not not alone uh, in that. Yeah, this is he's got some big shoes to fill, not just like in the literal like air big old air monarchs to fill, man. This is a job <laughs> where there's expectations, expectations to go win and win right away. I know some people have pointed out that when John Snyder says he's not really a rebuild guy, that he's just kind of doing GM speak. He's not gonna come out and say, Yeah, no, no, we stink, let's tear it down. I'm telling you, John does not operate that way. He's telling the truth when he says we're close. We just need to fix a few things, but we're, we're right there. John believes that, right? He does. He's going to operate accordingly, and the head coach had to be on board with that. It won't be the plan for, like, obviously he wants to be here for the long term, Mike McDonald does, but it's not just like, all right, can you get us to contention in a few years if we do X, Y, and Z? It's like, no, let's go let's go compete for the division in year one. Why can't yep. we? You know? Uh, and they should have that mindset. They should. I do think – it's important to note, Chris, as we talk about this hire, is that I'm, I I like the hire. Of the options available, I was like, oh, this is fine. I didn't know he was the youngest coach. That's interesting. 
Uh, like I understand the desire to maybe get a younger dude. They went and got literally the youngest guy out there. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so that means yeah, he's thirty six. Is he literally half Pete's age? Is that yes? He could be his. Is that his grandson in this son in this no, scenario? That, no, that, that would mean that that would mean the kids are nasty if he's the grandkid. Um, but yeah, it could be like a could be like a son. Um, but the, half his age. That's crazy. Um, did not did not did not realize. I've been busy today. I'm um, doing a bunch of stuff. So I wasn't on my phone. I didn't peep that. Um, and like I said, I'm on I'm on leave and stuff. Wow, half his age, huh? So anyway, I, I am a fan. I, I, I of the options, I thought this one looked looked good. I've been a fan of just from a scheme standpoint all all year. I've been watching the Ravens defense in the lead up to the Seahawks game. And after I watched the Seahawks game, after we did our breakdown, Ooh. um, after I was like, let me keep watching these guys because uh What's going on here is very special over there in Baltimore. And even in the playoff game, they lost. Like of the of the of the playoff guys or the of the coaches that the Seahawks considered who had playoff games, Mike McDonald, I think, had the best showing. I know Ben Johnson didn't like look bad per se. I thought he had some really good games too. But like when I watched the Ravens in the playoffs, like after Kansas City's opening script, uh, which I would assume since they scored so fast, that their opening script probably lasted into their second drive. So they scored their first couple drives, I believe. After that, though, nothing. They got nothing. Then got, a, I think, a field goal and a two-minute drill, um, largely because didn't, didn't somebody on the Ravens headbutt somebody? Uh, like it got yeah, yeah, it was just, some, some dumb penalties yep. in there, yeah, that gave them that. And then after that, they just didn't score. Right? <laughs> and, it wasn't, and it wasn't just a one-off. Um, they did the same thing once the Niners got out of their opening script. That game changed. Uh, once the Dolphins got out of their opening script, I believe they scored uh, their first couple drives against the uh, the Ravens. Once once their opening script plays were done, nothing. I think they lost by like 30. So the Seahawks never got going. The Lions never got going. I think the Jaguars was very similar. I think they might have scored early on. And then once their opening script plays were done, this guy, it's like Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald, so you got me messing up now. Um, <laughs> Mike McDonald started cooking and that shows the, it shows two things because Clint could do that too. And some former Seahawks DCs could do that too. Like, Oh, okay. It comes out and we're not starting great. And then we turn it around. Like the Bengals game for the Seahawks is that for instance, they think the Bengals scored on their first two drives and the Seahawks tightened it up and only gave them a field goal um, on a drive that lasted zero yards. So Clint could do some of this stuff too. I think when you, when you ask the Ravens, they're a little bit more consistent, not a little bit, a lot more consistent, um, more dominant. Uh, the Ravens defense, what it did to the teams that were really good on offense this year was just unbelievable. So it's not even just the numbers. Cause I think they were number one in sacks. They might've had the number one scoring defense, maybe number two. Can't remember. It's like, it was like 14 points or something like that a game. Uh, so they weren't, they weren't giving up much. Uh, actually the number may have not been that good. Let me, I got the internet. Let me see. Uh, opponent points per game, 2023, 16, 16 and a half. So that's really good. That's like two points off of like Legion of Boom type. Really, All really right. good. Um, the Legion of Boom was at like 14-4 in the, the championship year and somewhere around there for the other three years they led the league in scoring defense so the Ravens were dominant pretty sure they led the league in sacks they were excellent on third down they didn't really have a lot of weaknesses the reason they're not in the Super Bowl is because their offense just wet the bed <laughs> it's like it was just their offense was just awful they held Mahomes to nothing you know in the second half and then the offense did the offense with the MVP did nothing so I'm a schematically big fan like and what stands out before we get into Twitter questions that I'll answer some other stuff people were curious about. 
is the Ravens defense was very multiple, very adaptable. And I remember I was telling people earlier this year, as we were talking about guys who should win a, a assistant coach of the year, which I think is a pro football writers of America's award that I voted for um, that the difference between the Browns defense, which was called the number one defense for a lot of, a lot of the year, the difference between them and the Ravens is I'm, I'm simplifying here, but you guys will get the gist. The Browns were largely a, we have miles Garrett and we have a bunch of corners who can cover not just two. They had Denzel Ward. Who's nasty. Greg Newsom's their nickel, and then their uh, other guy, uh, Martin Emerson, number 23. Nails most of the season. And they have Miles Garrett, and their, their uh, linebacker is number six. Forget his name. His initials like J-O-K, I think, or something like that. Like, they have players who are just really good individually. They could cover in man, and they just locked you down. That was largely their scheme, and it worked great, particularly at home. And the Ravens was completely different. The, the, the Browns under Jim Schwartz were largely like a Legion of Boom type. We do this thing so well, and we have the talent advantage, we are going to dominate you. Like, that was their thing. The Ravens were just like, we are so good at problem solving that whatever problems your offense creates, we will adapt accordingly and screw up whatever things you got rolling. That, I always thought, was more impressive. Like, the, yeah. what the Ravens did to slow down a team like the Niners versus a team like Detroit is a little, little different. And then that's different than slowing down a team like Miami. And that's different than slowing down a team like uh, Cleveland or slowing down a team like Seattle. Like all you had, they had to adapt. And sometimes it wasn't major adjustments. Sometimes just little stuff here where you adjust, where you put this safety here, when you send your pressures here or, or how you adjust your fronts here. It's little stuff. It's not rocket science, but it was notable, which is why they were whooping everybody's butt all year. And that, Chris, always spoke to coaching to me. Not to say Jim Schwartz wasn't coaching his guys up, but the difference, what I think, was that it was very clear. You are coaching these guys, Mike McDonald, every week to do whatever the hell is needed to be done, not to win, but to kick butt. Yeah. It was very Belichickian. You know how Belichick would be like that sometimes? Like, if you need, if if you got, a, if you had a thing that you did really well as a team, Belichick would be like, all right, well, this week we're going to just break that. We're going to change whatever we do to, to adjust to that. And that's what it seems like these guys are doing. And that's it's hard to do. It's much easier to just say, line up, beat the other guy, especially yeah. if you got a talent advantage. The Ravens had talent, but you wouldn't say they necessarily had a total talent advantage. Like, do you, like, do you know who were who their top two edge rushers? Do you know off the top of your head? Wasn't it Clowney and what's his Oba? Oba well. See? It Clowney's yeah, one of them. They had an African brother over there too, but I think Kyle Van Noy was like their other one. Um, but either way, it's like Kyle Van Noy and Jadavian Clowney in 2023 leading your edge rush group. That's not overwhelming dominance. It's not like what the Steelers had with TJ Watt and Highsmith, right? Like they were getting it done by just figuring out how to put guys in positions each week to get it done. Um, and it was guys who weren't even guys who weren't even supposed to be balling like that, like Clowney. Cloudy let there look like the number one overall pick again, you know, over there. Guys like Geno Stone, who what did Geno Stone have? He picked off Geno. He was uh he's the safety they had. I think he had like eight picks or something like that. Let me look this up. He had seven picks. Like mm. he ain't never had that. Before this year, he had he only had one in his career, right? So you get a guy like that who balls out. You know, he's a seventh round pick. I didn't even know that. Um, Brandon Stevens, one of their corners, number 21. 
I don't even think he played corner in college. He come, comes to the Ravens, balling. And they already had Marlon Humphrey, obviously. But you guys get the gist. They have guys who – and then first-round linebackers and Patrick Queen and Roquan. But they have these guys who were – I don't want to call them like journeymen or whatever, but they just, they got, they got, they were at their best under this dude. And that's really encouraging because I think that does require coaching. Again, that's not something totally unique to Baltimore. We've seen that in Seattle. Chris, how many guys have we seen be the best version of themselves, you know, in Seattle and then leave and go be nothing close to that or be somewhere else and then come here and be the best version of themselves. So we've seen it. Uh, but it just wasn't consistent enough. So that was the all year, or maybe probably around like week, when did they play the Seahawks? Week like eight or something like that. Maybe like a week or two before that. And then everything after that, I was like, let me watch the Ravens a lot. So I watched the Ravens like every week. So I'm pretty familiar with their scheme. And let me tell you guys, Mike McDonald was doing some work. Damn it. Mike McDonald was doing some work over there. I knew his name all day. Now I'm screwing it up. But yeah, he... He was, doing, he was doing. It's okay. It's all right. He was doing some. He was doing some work um, over there. And if he continues the work he was doing, not necessarily if you just bring the whole scheme over, because the players are different. But if you continue to get guys to buy in each week to doing whatever it takes to kick the opponent's butt and do that consistently, whatever that scheme is, oh yeah, they'll be in good shape. We'll get to the other side of the ball, but at least on that side, the side that's been the most troubling in Seattle for how long has the defense been a problem here? <laughs> Feels Sweet. like forever. <laughs> so since, four, we, since, we, since we've been doing the podcast for sure, because <laughs> right. they yeah, it it oh, hasn't been years. dominant. Yes, for for years. So fixing that side of the ball, I think that's huge. I can I know people wanted an offensive guy, um, and I do, I don't think I leaned either way, but that part is huge. I think fix it. Fix the Seahawks. Get the Seahawks defense back to where it's like Seahawky again. Make Seahawks defense great again. Um, and I think that that's a, such a great start because that was so desperately needed. One before I got two things before we get to Twitter questions. One is obviously news travels around the league about moves that are being made. And one of the friends of who I met down at, you know, a convention. I know Mike, you're pretty tight with them. Cameron Wolf, who covers the National reporter for the NFL on the NFL, NFL Network. Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Cam. Cam actually caught up with someone who we mentioned before in comparison to Devin Witherspoon, and that'll be Kyle Hamilton, and talked about what the Seahawks are getting with Mike McDaniel. And I just want to play this sound Mike for you guys. Donald. Oh my gosh, jeez. It's okay. It's okay. We're we're gonna get it I'm out this to... first episode. We're gonna get it all the mistakes out, and then we're gonna get it right every single time. Let's try Coach that Mike. again. Let's just go with Coach Mike. Coach Mike. <laughs> we're gonna th- I'm gonna throw in some audio so for our YouTube guys, you'll be able to see the visuals of Cam Cameron Wolf that is talking with Kyle Hamilton, and Cam just asked, you know, hey, pretty much what the Seahawks getting in this new coach, Coach, which was it, McDonald. There we go. Coordinator Mike McDonald's been interviewing for some head coach jobs. For people who may not know him, what is he like as a coach? Yeah, he's super cerebral. Really smart guy. Probably the smartest guy in the building. Um, don't tell him I said that. But, uh, you know, he's going to get everybody in the right spots, use everybody's best abilities, and um, really just conforms to what we do best as a defense and as a team. And um, Great motivator. Uh, he lets the guys lead the room. It's just a bunch of great qualities for him. And, Whatever is coming in his future, he deserves it. Boom. So I that, think that was before the news officially yeah. dropped. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so Kyle didn't know that he was the Seahawks coach, but either way, yeah. that's a great endorsement. The particular part about conforming to what the guys do well, I think is very, very, because these guys are so unique and they, they have these, these skills that don't necessarily always directly translate from college to pros. Sometimes you're asking guys to do different things, play at a different weight, play at a different position, maybe. And you got if but if you get it right, and if you can get that right, Chris, you know, it's interesting. I don't think they should make a habit of this, but you can get guys like, you can take a guy like Spoon, who just played outside corner the whole time, and then make him a nickel and he's a pro bowler, you know, and never done it. Or you take a guy, I'm pretty sure that Brandon Stevens dude was like a safety in college, you know, take him. Okay, now you're a good outside corner. And just you can take, and then you can do that up front too. It's like, oh, okay, you were this type of linebacker. Well, now we need you to do this. And like stuff that was happening with the Seahawks in years past, if you can get someone to do that consistently, that's the thing about the Seahawks defense. They've had good games here and there. Consistency, get the most out of guys consistently, you will be in much better shape than they were, have been what, like you said, what, the last six or seven years? Yeah. And one last thing is we talked about off waxes. Mike McDaniel, obviously a defensive coach, formerly a defensive coordinator. What is his style going to be? Is he going to be calling plays? And Mike, you shared something that I thought was interesting that flat out you said, to be honest, he should be calling plays. Whoever the defensive coordinator comes in, it don't matter. Mike shoot, Coach Mike, Mike. McDonald, <laughs> McDonald should be calling the defensive plays. Can you expand on that real quick before we get to Twitter questions? Yeah, I, I, I was big on this in either direction. Um, whether you hire an uh, OC to be your head coach or you hire a DC to be a head coach, I really think that the, that guy should come in and call the plays and kind of just establish the identity of whatever you want to be early. I think that's the easiest way to do that is to do that through you calling it. You don't have to per se, like for instance, I'm pretty sure like the Jets, Robert Solid was a defensive coordinator. He runs the Jets now as the head coach. I believe their DC, can't remember his name right now, Jeff something, calls the plays there. And the Jets defense is fine. They don't need Robert Sala doing it. Whereas D'Amico Ryans does call the plays in Houston. Their defense is really solid. So it can work either way. I was just a fan of, uh, and then like, I think Nick Sirianni doesn't call the plays in Philly. Well, that's that's probably a bad example now because their OC just got fired. But you guys get the point. You don't have to call the plays. But I really think identity is important. I'm a huge identity guy. Uh, we talked about that on the show quite a bit this past year and the year before that. The main thing, and this was really attractive about like Jim Harbaugh, is that wherever he goes, not only does he win, but his teams look like him. You know what I mean? You can watch, I don't even need to know Jim Harbaugh as the coach to watch a team for a little bit. And I'm like, hmm, this team's very Harbaugh y. You can just feel it. Bruce Arians is the same way. Um, you can tell which team's Bruce Arians coach because the quarterback just doesn't give a damn, he's just hucking it. It's great. You know, you can kind of feel that. So I think that the easiest way to do that, like Jim doesn't call plays. He doesn't need to, to do that. But I think the easiest way is for you to get in and you do it right off, right off rip. I think I would encourage that. It's not to say he'll fail if he doesn't, but I think your team has to embody you and your philosophies and your identity. That's the only thing that's going to work. Not to say you have to be one dimensional or predictable, but if you want your team to embody you, which I do think we can probably agree, Chris, was probably the, the the undoing of Pete Carroll in Seattle, is that the team no longer looked like him. It didn't. It he, They knew what they wanted to be, but they didn't look like it. They were just kind of just out there. They weren't – you couldn't watch the Seahawks on either side of the ball the last 
uh, three years and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's Pete Carroll ball right there. You couldn't. Whether you even like Pete Carroll ball, the point is you weren't seeing it. And if you're not, see- if you got Pete as the coach and you're not seeing Pete Carroll ball, then why do we have you as the coach? The point of having you as the coach is play, you know, play your ball because we believe in your philosophy and you. Same thing with uh, Coach Mike. You hire Coach Mike so you can get a team that embodies a thing that he believes in because you believe, you being like John Snyder, you believe whatever he gets down with is what you get down with. Those uh, those things align. You guys are married now, and you go out and execute. The, uh, yeah, I just think the easiest way to make sure that happens off rip is for Coach Mike to be in there calling the plays on defense and kind of give the, the OC, whoever that is, we'll get into that, uh, give that guy the, the reins to just, hey, do your thing with, you know, I'm going to be the overseer, but do your thing. I'll do my thing. We'll be in alignment, and let's go out here and, and, and kick some butt like we were doing in Baltimore. Heard you. Well, without further ado, everybody's been waiting and wanting it, so you know what? We're going to give them what they asked for. It's Twitter questions. We appreciate every single one of you that took the time to ask questions. We appreciate you guys a lot. Thanks for all the love and support. Without further ado, Mike, you ready to get this rocking? Yes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this first one, it comes from Junior Langston at Junior Langston 4, and it's quite simple. How does he lead? Yeah, this is a good question. This is uh, something I was curious about even before he got hired because the the thing is scheming is just, what you say, Chris? It's like 25% of the job, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, we talked about it off wax, and you asked, you know, what percentage would you give it? And I said – I would put it at 25% and then you could fill in the rest with working with players, et cetera, et cetera, relationships. But yeah, 25% is where I had it at. Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's a important part of the job. Like if 20, if something of your job is 25% of the duties, it's that's Score. big. <laughs> yeah. You'll get, you'll get fired if you're not doing them and you'll get a promotion if you are or a raise in this case. Um, so it's important, but really I'm, I'm a big also to stay with that theme of identity. It's leadership. Because there's so many things that happen as a head coach that when you're a coordinator or position coach, you have to deal with on a micro level. But the the people you're managing are just so small. You don't have to deal with as much media. So that means you don't have to get up there and talk about your players that often, you know, whether they're performing good or bad. It's easy to get up there and talk about you guys when they're doing well. Can you get up there and talk about your team in a way that's constructive, but then honest and informing to your fan base and to your ownership or whoever else that you answer to? That's That's a big deal. Can you yeah. problem solve? Like, you look at the Pete Carroll era, Pete had to problem solve in some ways that were just not that predictable. 
talking about God, pra- fighting in, in practice is one thing. That's pretty normal, right? That's normal. But then, like, all of the infighting that was, like, not just a couple punches. It was beef. It was beef in that locker room. And, I'm t- and like, they, he had to manage that. Uh, you have to manage social media on top of just the traditional media. You got to manage what these guys are. You might you might get a call in the middle of the night. Imagine being, like, the coach of the Raiders this year, and you get all these calls about Chandler Jones' social media in the middle of the night. And you'd be like, how do you handle that? How do you handle guys – street racing outside of your facility how do you handle you know you guys getting in legal trouble or whatever domestic things there's so much problem solving that you have to do that has nothing to do with your scheme how do you hold your first round picks accountable versus your udfas how do you hold your veterans accountable versus your rookies versus your uh guys who are breaking the bank versus your guys who aren't making any money you know, yeah. all, like you have these are egos are managing personalities, you know, and that stuff is hard. It has nothing to do with whether you can call blitzes. That's part of it, you know, and we honestly don't know that from what I've gathered so far. Um, shout out to um, the homie Jeff Z. He uh, covers the Ravens for us. Uh, Zrebeck is how you pronounce his last name. I made, made sure to double check uh, before we hung up the phone today. But he's been covering uh, Mike McDonald for a while. And uh, he was mentioning and you can see it in some of the the press conferences that the Ravens post on their site. Mike McDonald's not really run through wall leader guy. Like Pete Carroll was quite literally running through whiteboards and stuff. That was his thing. That's how he, he was rah, rah guy. And that worked generally for his guys. You know, Um, Dan Campbell seems to be of that. Whereas some guys are more stern, like uh, Mike Vrabel, Mike Tomlin, some guys are a little quirky, like a Jim Harbaugh or Mike McDaniel. This time we are talking about the Dolphins coach. He's, he's like, you know, you guys watch Hard Knocks. He's a little quirky, you know. Uh, everyone's got their thing that motivates the guys. Uh, coach Mike seems to be more just a uh, matter of fact, crack a joke here and there. Um, you know, it's not, not weird, not socially awkward, but, you know, not full on. You're not about to when – they, when they post like – you know the team's going to do this, post like his first meeting or something like that and those type of clips. Maybe he'll get on hard knocks this year. I didn't even think about that till now. Though you, I bet you those scenes are not going to blow anyone away. You're not going to probably going to watch uh, Coach Mike's speech and be like, oh, man, where are my cleats at? It's time. You know, which is fine. I'm not going to say that's a problem. Everyone just – you should just be who you are. And that seems to be my Coach Mike's thing. Just be he's just himself, and that's perfectly fine. You look at like Sean McVay, he's himself. Kyle Shanahan, pretty much not like a quirky or he doesn't fall in any of those boxes I just named. He's just, he's just him. He's just Kyle Shanahan. You know, smart guy, knows ball, gets his guys to believe in ball, has a little bit of an attitude to him. Um, I like that quote. I forget who tweeted it, but I quote tweeted them. If someone asked him about the um, having the 12th man at their at their games, like what's the 12th man mean heading into the NFC Championship? He was like, we don't call it the 12th man here. You know, it's like – that's how he gets down. That was a good example, like a Kyle Shanahan personality. He wasn't a jerk or nothing like that, but he wasn't like class clowny, kind of how Mike McDaniel seems to be. Just more like, yeah, nah, <laughs> no, brother. It's not the 12th man over here. <laughs> Do not call it that. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what I've gathered. Um, Kyle Hamilton in that clip we, we played earlier called him a great motivator. That can take on a bunch of different uh, forms. But the, the, the main thing, like I'm not going to be at the press conference that Mike McDonald holds, but it sounds like he's not a win the press conference type of guy. He seems like he's going to win with his smarts, 
his other forms of motivation behind closed doors um, just by and just by being himself every day, which is good. I, I like that because the minute you try to fake it from what I've gathered from being around coaches and players in the NFL for however long we've been doing the pie was six or seven years, they can smell phoniness. They can smell phony. If they, if they sense that you're not being who you are, actually, they'll tune you out, tune you out right away. You're done. You're cooked. So as long as he's not doing that, I think that's, that's going to be uh, important. But, yeah, so far it seems like he's more of a put the work in, uh, get guys, do the work, and the guys follow uh, because they see how much he's putting into it. That's just from afar. I ain't ever met the dude, so I don't know. I barely even know what his voice sounds like. But that's kind of what I've gathered in the like week or so that I've kind of looked uh, into him. For what it's worth, Chris, I did hear like – Ben Johnson seems to not be like run through a wall dude either. That could be why he has pulled out. Like he doesn't, he seems like he just kind of probably not ready for the big chair quite yet. That's kind of my read on him, which is fine. If you're not ready, don't, don't take the job, but he don't seem like that. Whereas Mike McDonald does seem a little bit more, even though he's not like run through a wall guy, he's, he's ready for the big chair. Uh, we'll see if he wins to keep the big chair, but at least he seems ready for it, which is, I think, a notable difference perhaps between him and the other guy that people wanted who's still in Detroit. Elmerson Vaz. He's curious. John talks a lot about the time that he spent in Green Bay where they have an offensive mind head coach primacy. But when he had the chance to hire someone, he went for a defensive-minded head coach. Thoughts on that? What is your take there? Yeah, that's a good question. Guys, it really does not matter where side of the ball your coach is on. It really doesn't. Because he's got to be a leader. And you have to be able to hire staffs. You know, Pete was Pete's still one of the most successful coaches uh, of his era. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Defensive guy. Who else is some defensive guys? Let's rattle. We can do this. Let's rattle this off. Um, oh, Belichick. Belichick, defensive guy. Uh, another guy who's been successful lately is uh, Mike Vrabel. Defensive guy. You can win as a defensive guy. I know we see Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and some of the other offensive coaches, particularly in the NFC. You can do that. But as long as you can identify talent and establish a culture, it really doesn't matter what side of the ball you come from. Like, yeah, that's the it, it really doesn't. It doesn't matter if you're special teams, if you were ever a coordinator. I don't think Andy Reid was ever a coordinator. I don't think Mike Tomlin was ever a coordinator. Uh, obviously, John Harbaugh was never a coordinator. He was special teams. He was never OC or DC. It, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, it really matters about getting the right guy and making the right hires because in either direction, you're going to have to make it. You're going to, you're probably going to lose your guys if you hire the right guys. Right. So let's say you are, I think uh, Houston almost just had this problem. They have a defensive head coach. They almost lost their OC in year one. Todd Bowles finds Dave Canales, loses Dave Canales after a year. You know, you like now you're searching for an OC. That happens. You don't, you want to avoid that. But on the flip side, Kyle Shanahan has to replace defensive coordinators. Mike McDaniel, now we're talking about the Dolphins coach, he is over there. He's on. He's going to be on his third defensive coordinator in three years because he can't get the hire right. He's got it wrong twice. Um, so wrong that he's fired the guy after one year both times. I guess he didn't fire Vic Fangio, but you guys get the point. Um, there's one more example of this. Oh, Sean McVay has had to replace his defensive coordinators. From Wade Phillips to um, Brandon Staley to now he just lost Raheem Morris. 
And if he hires that, uh, I don't know if he's made a hire, but if he hires that Evero cat, who was a defensive coordinator at the Panthers, he might lose Evero next year. So there's pros and cons to each one. Even if you get a coordinator who's also your head coach, you 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 could lose the guy on the other side of the ball. You have to be able to replace him. Look what happened with Pete. He was able to replace DQ. Um, or no, he was able to replace, I think, Gus. I think Gus left first. And then you lose DQ. And then, okay, you couldn't replace. You get Chris Richard, Ken Norton, Clint Hurt. Like, he just ran out of just options there, right? Same thing with, like, finding the right OC. So I think it doesn't really matter what side of the ball your guy comes from. It matters on can he make the right hire on the other side of the ball. Like, is he good on his side of the ball, and can he make the right hire on the other side? If you do that, it doesn't matter if your guy is used to coaching, if your guy is a sports science dude. If he can hire the right guys, it doesn't freaking matter, right? Um, so that's probably why John, and he'll talk about this, I'm sure, whenever John talks, but that's probably why he didn't care what side of the ball a guy was from because it's really about finding a good staff no matter what your background is. Feels pretty obvious. The next question is, who do you think the offense and defensive coordinators will be? Yeah, that's the money question, Chris. I have no idea who's going to make his OC. I'm sure he told John when John asked that in the interview. I don't know who he said. Um, the thing about Coach Mike is that he doesn't have – he's not really tied to a tree, which is a weird saying. Let me rephrase that. He doesn't have a, a lot of experience in the NFL to the point where we can say, oh, he'll just pluck someone from this staff that he used to work on. I think in the NFL he's only worked for the Ravens. And in college, he's worked for Georgia Bulldogs and then Michigan Wolverines. So it's not like he has a ton of – not to say he don't know nobody, but you guys get the point that he doesn't have a, a wide range of connections. Um, maybe he knows a bunch of people, and we just can't tell based on previous employers. But, yeah, that's an interesting one. I really am – that's the next big thing is getting the right OC, you know, because in either way, if he had hired a, an offensive coach, it would have been, you know, finding the right DC. So either way, it doesn't matter. It's still important. But – I am very curious about that. I do think – I think the only thing that would make me – I would feel really good if he, if he hired someone who has experience doing it. You know, that would be huge, I think, to find an OC who's done it before. It doesn't really matter how long they've done it, but if they've just done it before. It just helps, I think, the lessen the, the burden or the lessen the learning curve. Because if you've got a first-year head coach – He's called plays for a couple of years at this level, so that's not too big of a deal. But still, first-year head coach. And then you get an OC who hasn't done it before. Like if he plucks someone from the Raven staff, I don't know who he would take because the Raven staff is getting gutted right now. Everybody wants somebody who coached on the Ravens. They even took the personnel director, dude. Uh, so you can do that. You can pluck like their passing game coordinator, their running backs coach or something like that, O-line coach. But, man, if that guy hasn't done it before, I do think that makes me a little, a little nervous. I'm not really sure who's like a good fit. I don't have a good name for you. Uh, I think the, I think was that T Martin, their QB coach has been floated out a little bit. As far as I can tell, not to say that can't happen. He's Lamar's man. Like him and Lamar is like that for real. So that could be tough uh, to just pull him away. Not to say that Harbaugh could block it, but you know, that's tough. If he's your quarterback's guy, quarterback would just win MVP or he's about to. You want to just keep him. You just gave Lamar. How much? How much did they get Lamar? Two hundred and fifty million dollars, something like that. Whoever he wants, you keep. 
not to say that's exactly what will happen, but it's something to keep in mind when that name gets gets floated out. But yeah, Chris, I don't know. He's got to get it right though. He's he's oh he can't get this wrong. That's the such an important such an important thing to get right. And that doesn't really doesn't really matter what tree. He doesn't have to pick a McVeigh guy or a Shanahan guy or whatever. He just gotta nail this joint. Got to, got to, got to. I don't really care who it is, but he's got to nail it. As far as the defensive coordinator, the name that makes the most sense is a Zach Orcat. Uh, looks like he's the linebackers coach over there. Sounds like him and uh, over there, meaning the Ravens. Sounds like him and uh, and Coach Mike are pretty tight. Another name, man, we're going to be botching names on here. Okay, so he is currently the inside linebackers coach for the Packers. First name, Kirk. Last name, O-L-I-V-A-D-O-T-T-I. How do you think you say that? You got none? I'm not even going to try, man. Just say Coach Kirk. <laughs> yeah, Coach Kirk over there. I think he's the he's the inside linebackers coach over there for the Packers. The Packers just fired their DC and hired a new guy. I don't know if the new guy will retain anyone from the Packers staff. So this guy, Coach Kirk, could become a free agent in the coaching world. Maybe he ends up, um, you know, with uh, Coach Mike. Coach Mike and him cross paths at Georgia. That would be the connection. That's why his name came up um, to me. The other thing to keep in mind. I don't know all of um, – I'm pretty sure Coach Mike is with a big agency. I forget his agent's name. He might be a Jimmy Sexton guy. But if he is, agent connections are helpful here too. Like if his agent be like, hey, you know anybody, blah, 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 you can kind of build that way too that you're from the same agency. You guys will be surprised how much of this coaching stuff we just all were following. Half these coaches that were just available are repped by like three dudes. That's it. It's like three or four agents have all the coaches. It's kind of crazy. Um, and it kind of explains some of these leaks and stuff too. But anyway, I th- so yeah, I'm dancing a little bit on the names, but those are the two DC names, Coach uh, Orr over there in Baltimore, and then maybe Coach Kirk in Green Bay. Uh, but uh, OC, man, I ain't got nothing, nothing for you, man. Just whoever it is, you know, get it right. Me and Chris will do it if he wants us to do it. I'll, I'll for sure do it. I would get I would get these boys right. Let me tell you. Um, but if not, you know, that's fine. If he wants to go with someone else with more experience, that's cool too. <laughs> You'd be the youngest offensive coordinator in the in the NFL, I think, if that's not mistaken. Would I? I think so. I'd be 32 at opening day kickoff. There's gotta have been someone younger than that. No, you think so? Maybe I don't not. I don't think so, man. <laughs> You'd be breaking breaking history, I think. Making history. This How next... old was Sean McVay when he got hired? Well, that's a good question. Sean McVay yeah. might have had you beat. He might be in his late 20s for all we know. Yeah, he didn't look like he was old enough to drink when he got hired. So, <laughs> Nate Ramirez. I'll look, I'll, I'll look that up as you go to the next one. All right, this this comes from Nate Ramirez. With the hire, who is now more or less likely to be retained or let go defensively? Yeah, you know, that's still up to John, but I would feel like if you're if you're coach mike you want the most impactful and adaptable players you can get and on the at least on the defensive side of the ball that's easily jordan brooks and easily leonard williams everyone after that mm, you probably don't need to like break the bank for you can try to keep them but i feel like this makes them super important 
And the really the interesting one, I think it, we all knew this coming in, but it becomes even more interesting now is Jamal. Because if if Coach Mike is a believer in Jamal and is willing to get the green light from John to be patient with that cap hit and that knee recovery, then boy, I could see Jamal balling out if he's healthy. The problem is, can he, can he get the patience on that side of the from the front office side? They'd be like, hey, I know how much he costs. I know how much he hasn't played. I know his knees banged up. But if you guys are willing to give me a shot with him, I can work with him. I don't know how that convo will go. That's a question for John. But if it does, ooh, I can see that that working out really, really, really well. Because uh, while we said Spoon's like a smaller Kyle Hamilton in that kind of do-everything role, Jamal is that. <laughs> like, he already is that. And he can do it. So yeah, I think on that side of the ball, we those guys are the most interesting ones. I mean, if you want to keep a, who else is up for grabs? Michael Jackson, I think, uh, is up. John Radigan's up. Bobby's up. Daryl Taylor's up. Um, this would this should probably mean keeping Quandre. So yeah, Reek's not going nowhere. Spoon not going nowhere. Yeah, I would say the names that really stick out of like yeah, if you really want to make this work. You bring back JB and you keep Leonard. Everything after that is kind of like playing with house money. But because John's running the show, I'd be surprised if Bobby comes back. Um, not to say anything about how Bobby's played. It's just the GM has basically said he didn't win him the first time. So why would we why would he want him the second time around? Uh with Pete God. So there's that. See, I think JB and Leonard, but the real interesting one that I'm most curious about now is Jamal. B-boy casual ask, what will McDonald? defensive coverage-wise specialize in? Will he force the defense to learn multiple covers and defenses? Yeah, I think so. And that goes to what we were talking about earlier. I'm telling you guys, this was not... They had their stuff like, hey, this is the things we do. But really it was, particularly on third down, it was let's find out what you do well and where you're trying to attack usually. And we own that. We on it, whether that means we have to bump our change our front, put our linebackers here, mug these a gaps, bring some safeties down, confuse you. That's what their defense is really good at. They were they bring pressure from everywhere. They'll send corners, send nickels, send safeties, drop fat dudes in the coverage, bring the fat dudes. Um, just traditional four man rushes, which they did way too much of against the Chiefs, I think. Uh, because they don't, they weren't super blitzy. They really weren't. They were just like, hey, we're going to just screw up with your protection rules. I really think that was the main thing other than like, all right, this is going to be a quarters team. Or this is going to be a cover six team. It's going to be a cover two team. It's going to be a cover three team. I don't think that matters too much. You should have like a thing that you like. But the main thing is, can you do what needs to be done to take away what the offense is good at? You know, Um like, if you get a team that plays a lot of 21 personnel, I mean, they use a fullback. Can you handle that? Can you get a team like the Chiefs who use heavy personnel? Can you adjust to that? And the Seahawks in the past have been pretty decent at that. Um, like, Pete, here's, can I can I show Pete some love real quick? Chris, I know that wasn't the question. Absolutely. Do me a favor, guys. This is it. Media, fans, whoever. When talking about Mike McDonald, do not act like – he is replacing a guy who did not know defense. The game did not pass Pete Carroll by defensively. 
Pete Carroll did not get figured out defensively. Pete Carroll adjusted. He adapted. He did not just keep running cover three until he got fired. He was doing a lot of the same stuff the Ravens do. And his defensive coordinators were doing it. They just weren't doing it as well, nor as consistently. But it isn't as just Mike McDonald has discovered new coverages that Pete never thought of. I want to make that very clear because that's we can get a little lost in that hyping up the new guy. It's not that Pete was old and forgot how to coach ball. Pete knows ball. <laughs> Pete will always know ball and how to problem solve. It just wasn't getting done at a high enough level. So I wouldn't throw that out there because Pete knew Pete was dropping guys in the coverage. Pete was having big having uh, Al Woods play uh, defensive end against a team like the Niners that like to do all these stretch zone runs. Pete changed his fronts because he kept getting beat on those Robert Woods and Debo's fly sweeps. You know, like he 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 changed the things. He did it. He just wasn't good enough, which is fine. But it doesn't mean he forgot ball. We got to respect Pete when we talk about Coach Mike. Even if we think Coach Mike is like the defensive Sean McVay tactically, can't act like Pete did no ball. Um, so, yeah, my th- I, from what I've learned and what I've watched of the Ravens, uh, particularly after they got Roquan Smith, because they were pretty buns before that, or uh, Cheeks, as, uh, as uh, Chris likes Cheeks. I can say buns. Either way, just means you stunk. Uh, since they got Roquan, it seems like the – the you'll they'll have a base doesn't really matter what it is but the main thing is can you adapt sometimes in game to do what needs to be done to go dominate spoon island do you think mike mac chose seattle over washington if so why oh i think he clearly did he's not coaching the commanders (laughs) commanders wanted that guy um, I, I don't know. I don't know him well enough to know why he would choose um, Seattle. I do think Seattle's roster is better, so there's that. Um, you you know a little bit more about Seattle's ownership because when you're a coach, the roster is part of it. The general manager is part of it. Ownership is really the, the mainstay of any organization, which is why the Cowboys don't win anything. They can change coordinators. They can change rosters. They can change coaches. Uh, Jerry Jones sets the standard, you know, and that's why the commanders were a dump. Because Dan Snyder set the standard. You know, you got bad ownership. You show me a team that's perpetually bad, I'll show you a team that has bad ownership. It's, it's kind of how it goes. Um, that's every organization in pro in pro team sports. So anyway, that could be why. Uh, no, I don't know much about Jody Allen, so I don't know how much Coach Mike got to learn about her. But that's, that would be one reason. Um, maybe they were willing to pay more. Maybe they're willing to give more uh, years on the deal. Who knows? But, yeah, ownership usually has influence in there. Culture usually has an influence in there. Um, being willing to hire you, whoever you want under you. All these things factor in. Again, I don't know. I ain't going to be at the press conference. I'm going to be out the country. Um, but those are, like, the things that I would guess factor in. Um, because when you – people kept acting like the commander's job wasn't attractive, man. That, you got They got cash. They got new ownership. They got a – the roster's okay. They don't have a quarterback, but they got the number two pick. Go get one. So, um, yeah, I thought that job was uh, was attractive. But, yeah, he just chose chose Seattle. There's a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. Traffic better over here. Um, decent food city. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, he did. We're getting some love from Germany, and this is Luki Rex. Can this go horribly wrong as it did with the Chargers and Staley? And what convinces you this will not go south? Love from Deutschland. Hopefully I said that right. You said um, that confidently, too. 
I know. I was over there for a week. I should be able to at least pick up something. Uh, yeah, can, yeah, this can go horribly wrong for sure. This was all for people who wanted to keep Pete. The scenario of it going horribly wrong off rip is, is totally justifiable. Like, hey, Pete, what did Pete never lose? He never won fewer than seven games, right? As a, as a coach, Seahawks coach, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, that's not as impressive as the Mike Tomlin no losing uh, thing, but still, that's pretty impressive. Coach Mike could go out here and go four and thirteen. He could. He could. He's never done this before. He, he could. That's a hundred percent on the table. Uh, he could also go thirteen and four. That's on the table too. It's that's a that's variance though. With Pete, you probably weren't getting thirteen and four, but you damn sure weren't getting four and thirteen. You know, so that's he was the safety blanket in that way. And they gave up safety. They like John basically did, and Jody. They gave up safety for the potential to go thirteen and four, or you know, you guys get what I'm saying. You could go fifteen two or whatever, but the potential to, with knowing that the risk is you could go five and twelve, easily could. Um, I don't, I don't know about the Staley thing. Here's where I think the difference would be. For what I've gathered on Staley, Staley was pretty know-it-all-y. You guys got that person at your job. You know. They just think they right. They think they right. And even if they wrong, they try to get it like, oh, well, I'm only wrong because of this. Something out of their control. No, man, you was just wrong. It's fine to be wrong. Staley seemed like one of those guys and also seemed like um, – he seems like a football coach version of the grandpa from Holes. It's a really random scene from the movie Holes, but I it, it's become a meme too. So it just grandpa, in my head. Tired of digging holes. yeah. When she says she's tired of digging holes, and that's too damn bad. You just keep digging. That seems like how Staley kind of approached at least defense. It was like, yo, coach, we tired of doing this. Or like, coach, this is too complicated to do this. And he like, that's too damn bad. Run it again. It's just like, well, that's not how you coach. That's not how you coach. Maybe that's how it used to be, but this is a new generation of players. Like these dudes ain't really trying to just be bought into some BS, you know, and feel like they ain't heard, you know. And I think Kyle Hamilton even alluded to that too. Like, let Coach Mike is letting people be heard, you know. That's important. It doesn't sound like Brandon was doing that. Um, it sounds like he had a way of doing things, and when there was pushback, he he was either too late to adjust or double down on his way of doing things. Either way, that's how you get fired. That's how you lose a locker room. Because what did he say? Didn't he say, Chris, after they lost to the Packers? This is Staley I'm talking about. That was like, uh, I think somebody asked him, how do you know that you still have the locker room? Like your message is still resonating. And he said, well, I mean, we're, we're right in these games. Uh-huh. If guys weren't listening, we'd be getting blown out. Which was a, that was a fair response. I don't know if it was the next week. But they for sure ended up getting smoked by the Raiders. <laughs> they gave by a like bad team. Yeah. So because he had a fairest point. It's like, we're right. Guys are right in here. You know, a couple plays go here or there. We win games. He's right. And you got blown out by like 50. And then you lost your job. So I, from what I, again, I just learned about Mike McDonald, McDonald this week. Or not this week. This year. So who knows? But I, I do feel like that's a difference between something like this daily situation where uh, you come in there and this guy just kind of was like a know it all a little bit. And he kind of came off as that too in his press conferences, particularly when he doubled down on when he would go for it on fourth downs and stuff. He kind of sounded like a jerk sometimes. So I can only imagine how it was behind the scenes when guys were blowing coverages or complaining about fonts <laughs> or whatever, you know? So Coach Mike does not give off those same vibes. Could he have another issue? 
Yes, of course. You know, I haven't read it yet, but the homies over there at uh, uh, Zach Rosenblatt and Diana Rossini, my colleagues at The Athletic, just did a big deep dive on the Jets. You know, Robert Solib got problems up there, you know, so he can have different problems. But I don't think it'll be a total disaster uh, like the Staley thing was as long as Coach Mike is a little bit more adaptable um, to learning on the fly since he's this is his first time doing it. Mac Daddy jumps in. <laughs> great, great name, by the way. I think he that changed the news of McDonald, but that could oh, I could be completely wrong. But I like that. How do you view this new marriage with John Schneider and McDonald? Different approach in free agency than what we've seen with Pete. What are you thinking there, Mike? Dang, why didn't we use Return of the Mac for the title? I mean, it's, it's not too late. I mean, we could just scrub the entire thing, you know. We have Maybe. Let's see. We could, we could. Let's let me let me sit on that. Um, the marriage between John and and Coach Mike. Um, yeah, without knowing too much about Coach Mike, I think if we just focus this on what changes for John, I really don't think that much changes because John John's been running the show. It's John's job to find the players. It's John's job to find the fits for what the coaching staff wants. That's always your job as the GM. Coaching staff says this is how we get down. We want to be a four three over team and on defense we want to be heavy personnel blah blah blah. maybe that's what we want to be right so and we want guys who are big so we can run gap steam stuff and run power you know that's that's what we want to do run between the tackles cool so you go get 340 pound guards from lsu or something like that right so that's that's what you want to do or if your if your coaching staff says hey we want to we want speed like mike mcdaniel the dolphins coach like speed i want speed so we'll get me fast linemen we'll get me fast receivers and we're gonna be, we're gonna get to the perimeter on guys, make them cover the, every blade of grass. Your job as the GM is to go find that. You know, that does not change. Pete had his way of doing things, but either way, it was John's job to find it. Like if Clint Hurt says, "Hey man, I need some, I need some two point stance uh, outside backers. Go find me those guys. I don't need three point stance guys. We changed our defense. Go find me those guys. Go find me Daryl Taylor's. Go find me who they just draft. Um, Derek Halls." Find me boy, my face. You know, that's the job. No matter if it's Clint or Mike McDonald. Free agency stuff is part philosophy and part ownership. Like the Saints, they can tell their GM, forget the GM's name right now, uh, Loomis maybe? Um, let me see if I can get that right. But they tell their GM, hey, man, if we don't got the money right now, swipe it to the credit card and we will find money later. Uh, yeah, Mickey Loomis. So, like, they tell Mickey over there, Go ahead. You can just extend Marshawn Lattimore, extend Cam Jordan, extend Alvin Kamara. We'll find money for players to to build the best roster now. Other teams don't do that with like void years and things like that. The Seahawks are not really one of those teams who will just tack on a bazillion void years, spread the cap hit out to make stuff work now. That's an ownership thing. Usually. Yeah. That's that's part GM and part ownership because the owners who have to pay that bill, like when you eat all the, when you talk about dead money. Like that's that's that the checks are still being cut <laughs> by somebody. So that's usually a philosophical thing and an ownership thing. So I don't think that changing Pete out necessarily changes that. I really think a lot of the philosophical approaches to team building stay with John. Maybe a couple guys here and there don't get drafted because Pete fell in love with them. Maybe Pete fell in love with a guy like Reek or fell in love with a guy like Jarek Reed or fell in love with a guy like Chris Carson. Pete loved Chris Carson. Maybe you don't see those guys 
go, maybe those guys are replaced by dudes that John loves a little bit more. Who knows? Um, not to say John didn't like Chris Carson, but you guys get what I'm trying to say in that scenario. Other than those type of instances late in the draft, or like I think John found DJ Reed, but Pete's the one who I know John actually was who thought DJ Reed could play on the outside. Pete wanted him to play nickel. Um, you know, so that's an example of like John's been doing this. So I really don't think it um it changes all that much. I think like another example is Pete really wanted Marshawn. I think John tried initially, and then the, the Bills were just like, nah, we good. And then Pete would keep going back to him like, bro, try the Bills again. Did you call the Bills? Call them again, bro. Please. Good morning, John. Call the Bills. You know, maybe that's not the same this time around. There's some, there's all these little things. But um, dealing with the media, Pete was way more comfortable than doing that than John was, for instance. So there's all these things. Without knowing Mike, I don't know how to handle that. But those are, in terms of team building, I think it's going to stay largely the same. You know, try to find guys who less of the workout warriors and just tape guys and find good people. That's something John's been really on lately. It's like, all right, man, I know this guy runs a four, two. That's cool. I know he had a bunch of sacks at Alabama. That's cool. But is he, is he the right guy between the ears? You know, that thing that's, that's going to change. That's going to stay the same just because John's here. That doesn't change with the new head coach. Fats McClure. He's a, how often does, He's a really good coordinator. Transfer two, he's a really good head coach. And in your opinion, does Max seem like the guy who can make that transition quickly? That's that's the money question, Fats. Um, <laughs> that really is, man. Because as I'm looking, there really is no guarantee. There are some really good coordinators who stink as head coaches. Um, what was my like man name? Yeah. My, well, no, 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 no. No, not Vrabel. Um, Is that what's his name? What's the Chiefs' defensive coordinator's name? Steve Spagnola. Excuse me, Spagnola. Yeah, great Spag. coordinator. Yeah, head coaching. Um, Rex Ryan. Say like, Rex Ryan can coach. Co- Rex Ryan go out there and coach a top ten defense tomorrow, probably. You know, if you made Rex Ryan the DC of the Seahawks, they'd probably be fine. You know, make Rex Ryan the head coach of the Seahawks, five and twelve. You know, it's just it's just different. You know, some guy Josh McDaniels, great example. Josh McDaniels knows offense. He does. If you ask him to run the show, no. Everyone will be fired soon. That's just kind of how it is. I used to think Todd Bowles was in that same boat. Maybe he is. We'll see. Robert Sala's trending that way, by the way, as a good coordinator who, as the head man, might not have it. Part of that is time that they've just botched the quarterback thing. But there's plenty of examples elsewhere around the league, but those are all, you know, sticking out. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes that really good coordinator guy is not built. Brian Flores, really good defensive mind. He had the Dolphins right, and he got the Vikings right right now. Not cut for it. Not cut for the, the head coach thing. Uh, for, and for whatever reason, sometimes it's different reasons that these guys don't pan out. But not everyone's built for that. I think the key is leadership, identity. And people skills. There's a lot of there's a lot of game within the game you have to play as a head coach, whether that's with the media, whether that's with your agent, whether that's with ownership, whether that's with other coaches, whether that's with front office people. You gotta play ball. Think of how often that we get like 
a split between a coach and a GM and they both get fired or something, or one of them gets fired and we get like a deep dive article about how they didn't work. And a lot of that stuff comes down to someone just didn't know how to manage the people part of it, whether they were a jerk or they were too passive or they just didn't read the room. Well, whatever, you know, those are the really important parts um, that tend to kill guys. Brian Flores seems to be one of those guys who just kind of didn't get the game within the game. They should, that you had to play particularly as a black head coach. So um, from what I can tell, the one thing Mike's not going to have an issue with is, is the work. Like no one's going to question his commitment to the craft, but that has nothing to do with how you deal with like, again, coach, coach infighting, coach politics, front office politics, ownership politics. There's all this media politics, you know, um, that that no one has a good feel for other than people who have actually dealt with them. But those are all things to keep in mind. Pete was actually really good at those, by the way. Uh, but some guys are just not, you know, they uh, they just don't handle the people part well, whether it's their players like Josh McDaniels. He's smoking cigars when you get fired, bro. Like, clearly, you you just didn't you didn't have it, you know. Uh, in the NBA, Milwaukee Bucks out here doing the tootsie roll when their coach just got fired. You know, uh, it's some people don't have the people part of it, so it's not just scheming stuff. All those coordinators we just routed off. Can you think of any more, Chris? There were like good coordinators that were bad head coaches. I'm trying to think off top, there's probably so many. Yeah, I can't. Uh, let's see. Oh, Brandon Staley. Yeah, thank you. Yep, <laughs> that one. He yeah. just lost his job. He was excellent. Yep. It's a great and, one. And, Hey, do you want to be a head coach? Sure. And it just didn't click for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that's a good one. Honestly, and he's not viewed this way quite yet. Mike McDaniel might fall into that. He might. He might just be a really good offensive coordinator. Because his teams, when it's time for his teams to show up these last couple of years in big games, boy, they went to bed. And that's a reflection of the head man. You know, so he could be in that scenario, too. That boy, if Mike McDaniel gets fired, he's going to be a hot OC candidate. Boy, everybody going to want that guy. Yeah, um, the, the Dolphins shrivel up like your little boys in the pool, man. Stop. Yeah, and that's a reflection of the head guy. That is. Yeah, that's tough. So, so that's a good, that's, you know, we'll see. He I mean, could they could be in that. Yeah. Exactly. He, he, could, he, he could be the next example of just a really good coordinator who's not really built for the head, head man thing. I am Evie. Do you believe Bobby fits Mike's defense? Coach Mike, that is not Mike Dugar. He is not the head coach yet, maybe in a few years. But And is it possible Queen comes and Brooks departs? I don't I don't see a purpose in a Queen for JB switch. They seem, seem just like – I mean, I guess you could. It's, it's fine. It's not like bad. Um, ideally, I think he's trying to get both of them. Like I, I think Bobby could fit whatever defense you want him to. I really just think that's – I'm really putting that on John. And that's not even like a reporting like back-channel thing. Pete basically, the day they came up and explained the rest trade, Pete was basically like, yeah, I kept asking John if there's a way we could make it work. And John kept telling me no. And then John got asked, hey, John, was it about the money? Like maybe you guys could have done a pay cut with Bobby. And then John was just like, yeah, no, we weren't. That wasn't an option. There was no scenario in which we were bringing him back, right? That was on the record. Everyone, there was cameras and everything. Uh, and then they bring him back, and it seems very clear that, like, that was a Pete 
thing, right, to make that happen. So I just, I'm just kind of reading between the lines there. Not to say that John can't bring him back, but come on, y'all. Once you, once you saying that type of stuff on the record, it's very clear you don't want the guy. But I do think if he stayed, there's, there's a, there's a place to use him. Um, I think JB, if I was, if I was a uh, coach, Mike, I'd be like, yo, let's try to get Queen and JB to play together. Because even if you just swap Queen for Jordan Brooks. You still need another Jordan Brooks, <laughs> you know, because let's say you don't bring back Bobby and you're like, all right, I think Patrick Queen is just a better version of Jordan. So you're Mike McDonald. You bring Queen with you. Queen's a free agent, which is why that's come up. Um, I still think you need another backer. So might as well uh, bring Jordan along. I think they should do that. Uh, Chris, can I read a quote that I got? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, this is from Patrick Queen. This is my homie, the homie Jeff at the Ravens. He sent this to me. I think Patrick said this on locker cleanout day, maybe. Definitely after the season, sometime around their season ending. He said, I think Mike McDonald's the best uh, candidate out there right now. I don't think anybody does it like him. Nobody cares like him. Nobody will do what he does. He will not rest until he has everything right. Whoever gets him, if he leaves, they're getting the best candidate out there. The guy is all around just the best person I've been around, coach-wise and person-wise. He really cares and truly cares about the players, the people around the organization, and the fans. Um, it's a little coach-speaky, but you could see, like, there's some passion in that answer. Um, so, like, yeah, I could easily see Quinn coming with him. You usually see, like, when a guy leaves, he takes some guys with him. Um, I believe yeah. the the Eagles coach, um, the D.C. from the Super Bowl, Gannon, took some guys with him to Arizona. D'Amico, I think, brought a couple guys with him from the Niners, Jimmy Ward being one of them. Uh, Robert Sala grabbed some guys from the Niners, like DJ Reed. Um, so, like, guy, and the guys on offense do it, obviously, as well. So, um, yeah, I think Shane Steichen took Gardner Minshew with him, I believe. Gardner was with the Eagles, too. So, it happens. I do expect at least one or two guys from the Ravens who are free agents to come on over, Patrick being one of them. But, if I, again, if I was advising Coach Mike, I'd be like, bro, put – Jordan Brooks next to Patrick Queen. Then you're cooking. That's that is nice. Tony K. Does Mike McDonald turn the Seahawks defense into a top 10 overnight? Or do you think it will take him a few years to get the defense how he wants them to play? No, I don't think it'll take that long. I don't, it doesn't really have to. Um shoot, in season. Let me pull up these numbers. I pulled them up before we were recording. So before the Ravens got Roquan, now this is just this is I didn't watch the Ravens too much before they got Roquan, so I don't really know what their issues were in 2022 to speak to them like with expertise. But before they got Roquan, weeks one through eight, they were 20. What do I have this? 20th in opposing points per game. Yeah, uh, 22nd in scoring defense. Essentially, is how you should hear that. That's not good, right? It's not. And they were, oh, my God, 27th in EPA per play. So, basically, they st- they were anywhere from, like, eh to bad, right? After that, so from weeks 9 and on uh, to week, oh, this would be week 18, they were the fourth best defense by EPA per play, and they were the second best scoring defense after they got Roquan in 2022. So it can turn around. Again, that's just one player, but it can turn around. And I think another good example of this, uh, we've had two in the last two years. The Jets' defense before Salah got there was no better than me, Chris, and a bunch of our neighbors at our respective apartments. Uh, 
we could have got 11 dudes that live next to me and Chris, and we'd have been just as good as the Jets defense before Solid showed up. It was bad. Um, what did Solid do? Came in. I mean, they made some great moves. They got Sauce, I think, their first year. or No, they got some guys, not Sauce. But they made some good picks that first year, signed DJ Reed, signed uh, Whitehead, fixed it up, um, made some other moves. But then they were like a top five defense the very next season. The Texans this year. Chris, last year, the Texans, like, so you guys watched the Seahawks defense in 2022. Think of how bad. Let's all let's all close our eyes and imagine. Let's do it, Chris. Close our eyes and imagine how bad the Seahawks run defense was in 2022. Picture Josh Jacobs just going crazy. Picture Cordell Patterson going crazy. You guys see that in your heads? You can imagine it. You're good. You're seeing Christian McCaffrey go crazy, right? All right, you got it? The Texans were worse. <laughs> like that—that's how bad it was. And what did D'Amico Ryan's do? Came in and fixed it in a year. So you can do it. You can do it. That's, that's a long-winded way of saying yes. It's very possible. You re-sign JB. You re-sign Leonard Williams. Find another like goodish outside backer uh, to rush the passer, and I think you got something there. Zach Nixon drops in. What will separate Seattle from other 31 teams in the league? Whoa. That's a loaded question. The thing that's always going to separate is consistency. That's at a player standpoint. That's at a coach standpoint. That's at an organizational standpoint. If you get consistency in ownership, consistency at head coach, consistency at quarterback, you keep those ownership, head coach, quarterback, yeah. Maybe I missed something, but you keep those three people consistent, you generally get consistency. If you keep those three people consistent, you get consistency on offense. If you get consistency on offense, um, you're going to more likely to win games. If you get, and then if you can manage to keep your defensive coordinator, well, then I just described the Chiefs. They've had same ownership. Their head coach ain't going nowhere. He needs to get the snot out of his mustache, but he's not going nowhere. Their quarterback's not going anywhere. Their OC is their uh, is their head coach. And what I say? Oh, Spags. No one wants to hire Spags. Like you said, Chris, when the last time he was a head coach, he wasn't no good at it. So now they got all this consistency at these important positions. Ownership, head coach, play caller, quarterback, not even D.C. That is not gonna, that's not going to happen for Seattle overnight. But if they can have that consistency, they'll be in a good spot. That's the real way to go in this in this business. Like it's can you maintain at these key spots? Can you keep your quarterback? Can you keep your play caller? Can you keep your head coach? And can you is, is your ownership not fluctuating? You keep those guys all in line. Or you can have women in there too. Um, but you keep those people in line, that will be the difference. Because it's only me and Chris have talked about this before. There's only so many schemes, man. You either run in zone, you run in man blocking. You either run, you either run in man or you run in the zone coverage. You listen or you're not. There's only so much stuff. There's only so many routes on the tree. There's only so many run schemes and all this stuff. But can you con- are you consistent with the most important people in your building? If the answer is yes, you can separate yourself like the, oh, the Patriots. That describes them too. Ownership, head coach, quarterback. You even had the same play calls for a long time. You keep all those people consistent, you'll separate yourself from the rest of the league. When those people are changing, you will have problems. 
Big ass eyebrows. Which current <laughs> player on defense do you think has the best chance to blossom in McDonald's system? Oh man, it's 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 me and Chris agree on this. It's Spoon. Like, man, Spoon's already all over the place. Yeah. Like, you know, you know what, Chris? You know, I think it's actually it might be a tie. It might be a tie. Cause I really think. You let Mike McDaniel ah, God damn it. I was getting his name right all day before this. <laughs> yeah, I'm blaming you, Bo. I'm blaming you. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's, I'm, it's still words that I need to get right. But you let Coach Mike get his hands on a healthy Jamal, man. You let him do it. I don't know if that's okay. I don't know if you can just count on a healthy Jamal. It's just not. I don't know if you can do that. But if you do, you get that. You get Coach Mike's hands on him. We've seen him play at an all-pro level before for multiple seasons. So he can do it. Man, that would be – I just keep thinking, Chris, about that Bengals game. That was a really good Joe Burrow offense. And they basically did nothing after their first couple drives. That was it. And it was a simple scheme after that. It was we're going to cover these boys and rush them. That was it. That is – man, that, just think about that. That's some, that's some good stuff. I think those two – am I missing anybody? No, I I would even then I would just say Devin because it reminds me of kind of what the Rams did I think and was it 2021 with Jalen Ramsey they used him as the X and he was just doing a bunch of everything. Oh, that was 20. Staley Staley had him doing that. 2020. 2020. Okay, excuse me, a year earlier. Yeah, so it was like the star position is what they call exactly. Him. Yeah. They call him the star position and he as a star you just hey bro we need you to do this cool hey bro we need you to do this. And that's something I have envisioned maybe Mike McDonald saying, McDonald saying, you know what? That's what we can do with Devin. He is that talented. We can use him pretty much wherever we want on the defensive side of the football, and he's going to make a play. So hands down, though, that is one player that I'm looking at that coming in. That's someone that can exceed expectations and just keep getting better and better year in and year out. Turns 44, Ryan Turner drops through. What are the chances he sees a second contract and how smart is it by the ownership group to give him such a long deal? Yeah, for me, what's up, Ryan, by the way, what up, what up? Yeah, I'm I'm not a big how long your contract is guy. We've seen the right ownership will just eat that contract if you stink or if they want to get rid of you. What did the, uh, this, the Raiders and the Seahawks are very different, but didn't they give John Gruden like a, a hundred year deal like they signed John Gruden forever dog and now they had to fire him because he has some racist emails but man they was willing to eat that on him you know um the Texans are probably paying a bunch of coaches still they just kept firing guys right back to back to back um after they fired Jim Harbaugh didn't the Niners have a bunch of coaches in a row I don't know how long their deals were but like it was like Jim Tom Sula Chip Kelly and then somebody else before Shanahan maybe like the point is if you stink and you're bad enough, ownership will eat your deal. Seahawks got money. Jody's good. He's, he's fine. People are still showing up to games. And the last time I checked, you go on the Seahawks Pro Team website or whatever to buy something, all that stuff, expensive as hell. And it all sells out. So she's doing fine. She now hurt. So if, if Coach Mike flames out after like two years or something like that, the length of his deal and the money owed will not be the deterrent. I don't think it is. Um, particularly if she's thinking about selling the team at that point too. That really doesn't matter at the, to me. 
that's just kind of just how I've looked at it. You look around the league, each owner is different. But again, if you're bad enough, these owners will find a way to get, get you a better. Same thing in college. When you got that, you know, college coaches be having them big old buyouts. Man, you make a couple calls to some donors, boy. They will buy you out if you stink. They will. They'll find a way. UW fans, no, they'll find a way. They was giving Jimmy Lake a bunch of money. You know, find that man with the quickness. <laughs> got him out of there. You know, it was it's expensive to get rid of some of these coaches. Get him out of there. Um, even if you're not firing them with cause. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, that's cool that they gave him that. Good for Coach Mike, but uh, I don't think that matters too much. I don't think that. I don't know what that means for him getting a second deal because if he's good, if he's really good, like they make the Super Bowl in like three years or something like that, he'll probably want to tear that deal up anyway and get another yeah. one. So if his agent's smart, which I think he is. So, yeah, I, I don't think the length of his contract matters to me. I know some other people might hype it up, which is fine, but I'm just not moved by it because I know billionaires will eat that money <laughs> if they if they need to. They'll find a way if they really want to get rid of you. Replacement Hawk drops through. Do you guys think McDonald will run the same stuff he ran in Baltimore? Do we have the personnel to even run a similar scheme? Uh, yeah, yeah, I th- I think so. Not as much with the um. They were able to do some stuff with with Queen and Roquan that you probably can't do with JB and Bobby because they're just not as interchangeable stylistically or athletically. I don't think. Um, but otherwise they have some, like, you could move spoon around in a lot of different ways. Like you could do Kyle Hamilton. You can move Quandre around in a bunch of different ways. You can move Julian. I mean, it's a lot of the stuff that Clint was doing. Um, like that Bengals game where you had Quandre playing in the hole a little bit more. And then you had like the Eagles game where you could have Jay love at free safety a little bit more, which is where he got his two interceptions. So you can move. The Seahawks in the the middle of their defense, there is some uh, flexibility there. There's some flexibility up front with uh, Leonard. If you bring Leonard back, he's got some. Jay Reed has some flexibility as well. You could do some different stuff with Chenna uh, as well because he's a pretty well-rounded player. So, yeah, I think there's some room to get full psycho. Like I know people don't like – this was a big deal with uh, Ken Norton, like dropping guys into coverage. Like, you know, I think they have Brian Monet dropped a couple times. Puna would drop a couple times. But when you do that type of stuff right, it does work. It does work. It worked against the Chiefs. Like they were, they had 355, 350 pound, uh, what's their nose tackle's name? His name is Mike, too. Can't remember his last name. Pierce, Michael Pierce. But they had him dropping in coverage on third down. Mahomes just, oh, shoot, what do I do? You know what I'm saying? So you can, Coach Mike is a sicko. I used to call Shane Waldron that, too. Just like, just do some sicko stuff as a coach. The Seahawks have the personnel to do it. It just didn't seem like they were they had the right voices and were not totally bought in. But if you're bought in, oh, you can you can make that stuff look crazy. Brian Flores, another sicko over there. All he does is just blitz the hell out of you. And if he doesn't blitz, he drops eight. What? That's insane. And it works. So uh yeah, the Seahawks have the personnel to do it. They just need to coach it up a little better, have different messaging, and be a little bit more consistent. Lolly Hoops, how much do you think McDonald's youth will factor into him being able to form connections with players? Yeah, I think this is um, this is really important. I don't know about form connections as much as it's just um, get through to them. 
Because that's real. It's tough, man. Like, you even think of... So, Bobby, right? Bobby's going to turn, I want to say, 34. How uh, In June. How old is... Who's the youngest player on the Seahawks defense? It's got to be Spoon, right? Spoon or Derek Hall? Uh, Derek Hall. Let's see how old Derek Hall is. Derek Hall is 22, right? That's... Uh, yeah, and Derek will turn 23 in March. So... He and Bobby are however many years. They're, they're a decade apart, at least, right? Inside of a locker room, even that's a big difference right there, right? And those are two guys who are playing with each other, um, playing like on Whoa. the same offense. I know that sounded real crazy. That sounded crazy. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're playing on the defense together, right? So, and that's a that's a big gap, culture, not culturally, but like, it, with within just like personalities, this type of stuff that Derek Hall and his rookie class is dealing with is way different than what Bobby's rookie class was dealing with between just um, everything from like NIL to how social media has grown and going viral has grown, all these different mediums, TikTok, like taking popularity now um, and how Instagram has, has grown and just all of this stuff and just like all these podcasts and people posting film and um, that's the, besides the like the other part, the financial part. Guys making more money now. Um, there's so much that's different, um, and that's just from player to player, right? So it's it's even tougher from player to coach. Coach Mike, what's going to work against him? Where his where his age will work to maybe make up for the other part that's important. Coach Mike didn't play, and I think he like had to give up in high school or something like that because of his neck or his knee, maybe both. Mm -hmm. It's his neck. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Um, so that's a huge one. Guys really, you really got to understand these dudes that have been in the trenches, you know, um, and what they're going through and not to say he won't, but maybe to make up for that, the age part will help, you know, if, if, um, to get through to how old is, um, Jordan Brooks going to be 27, I think 26. So getting through to him might be a little easier, right? Um, even though. Coach Mike ain't play. He's coached linebackers, but he ain't play. So I think that's that's his age is probably going to be really important there to understand them uh, and get through to them because it's a totally different ball game now. Guys, Spoon's age and, and Derek Hall's age are not the same as as even guys in Quandre's thing. Look at the cigar thing was a good, good example. You know, I don't think the cigar smoking thing was an age thing because there were some vets in there smoking them too. But it was, you could you could see the difference. You know, Tyler and Quandre are both over thirty. Wasn't smoking them joints. You go to the other side, other the younger DBs, light it up, even though we didn't make the playoffs. You know, so you got to be able to get through to all of them different types of dudes, not just one or the other. But if you can get through to that younger group, that's good. That's going to be key. I do think it does help to be a little bit, um, a little bit closer to their age. But ultimately, this is very important before we move on to the next question. If what you're preaching is not working, no one listens to you, no matter how old you are. You could you could be 85 or 18. If all the stuff you talk on Monday through Saturday don't help y'all win on Sunday, you're getting tuned out no matter what. So keep that in mind as well. Michael Gartrell, how much of what we saw with Baltimore's defense was Mike Mack versus Harbaugh? Yeah, why don't we just call him Mike Mack? That's probably where we should have gone to not screw up his name. Uh, Harbaugh seems to be very similar, I think, to Pete and Coach Tomlin. In that he lets his guys do his thing. I know Pete meddled a little bit, um, and all, all all head coaches do. But the a pattern that you see 
This is not just Pete. It's a lot of guys. Guys meddle as head coaches when stuff isn't working. That's usually when you see the meddling. Like, if, if, uh, like Daryl Bevel, right? He was running it a lot. They were play action. They had an identity on offense. He didn't have to do nothing. You know what I'm saying? He didn't have to, you know? So I don't know if, how much he did. I wasn't around at that time. But from what I've gathered, he didn't have to do much. Same thing, um, with someone like Gus Bradley or DQ, Dan Quinn. He didn't, Pete didn't have to step in a ton. He step in a little bit here and there because he's the boss, but you know, he can give suggestions and help with the game plans if you want. But you have to really like step in, you know what I'm saying? Whereas, like with Clint, he did have to step in because there there were parts of their defense that were god awful. That's the difference. I think that's kind of general around the league. Some coaches are a little bit more hands on if they're calling the plays, like a uh, Brian Dable, I think, calls the plays maybe over there in the Giants. It's kind of funky with him and Kafka, but. When you're calling stuff, like Mike McDaniel is calling stuff, obviously you're involved. But I think Harbaugh, he gives me the vibes of like, yeah, let let his guys do his thing or do their thing uh, on, on game day in particular. So from what I've kind of learned, those dudes, the coordinators in there, both Todd Munkin, the new guy they got calling the plays on offense, and Mike McDonald, they, they, they had the, the ability to you know get in their bag, do their thing. It's not like John was just sitting back, you know, clipping his toenails. But, you, you know. He was letting his guys, I just, I can imagine John just being over there like, yeah, y'all got a plan this week? Clip. You got a plan this? Eh, what are we going to do about this uh, Brock Purdy guy? Clip. Uh, I don't think he was doing that. But it sounds like Mike was able to install his stuff, get the game plans right, and prepare his boys. And that's where I, that's what, part of what makes it attractive hire because he was really good at that. Mike Bomar. Not trying to be pessimistic, but I remember the same Sean McVay of defense, their defensive line getting tossed around with Staley when he went to the Chargers. Please give me reason McDonald is different. Yeah, I mean, it's the, he's got to do it for we know for sure. I think we talked a little bit about what makes Staley, what what kind of cooked Staley. What I do bring up when we talk about McVay, and, I was, and I've been thinking about this, and I don't want to be pessimistic either, but would you say the name of this person who access was? Was this Mike as well? Yep. Access? Oh, hang on. I screwed up. I just removed it from my bookmarks. Nonetheless, it's continue. Okay. It's okay. The person who asked this, uh, I think you bring it up, and I'm going to just go on, a, not a tangent, but just like pivot a little bit. We got to stop acting like, and not to say we've done it on this show, acting like Mike McDonald has figured out Sean McVay here, guys. Sean McVay's offense went to Baltimore, and they moved that rock. Go watch that game again. They moved the pill. I think they scored 29 points, I think, on offense. There might have been a safety in that game. Uh, but he ain't just figure out McVay. They won the game on a punt return in overtime. But Sean went up there and, and, and got cooking. You know, and It's not to say that Mike McDonald will never have a good game against uh, Sean McVay, but schematically, like there are some reasons for pessimism, particularly if you're of the impression, like, yeah, man, this guy's gonna come in here, and we're gonna win the division because he's gonna have figured out Shanahan and Sean McVay. Uh, I wouldn't put that type of pressure on Coach Mike. Like he did a good job on uh, Shanahan's team. He got a little lucky with some turnovers, but that's what happens when you get your court- get the quarterback all flustered the way they did with Brock Purdy. The Rams, though, Chris. 
Stafford threw for 294 and three touchdowns, and Kyron Williams ran for 114 yards. And, yeah, they scored. Yeah, there was a, a fumble out of bounds for a safety. So they put up 29 points, it looks like. I don't think there was any defensive touchdowns before the punt. Um, yeah, Sean moved that bill. Y'all keep that in mind before you, everybody gives him a bunch of credit for stopping McVay and uh, Shanahan. He did good against Shanahan, kicked his butt on Christmas. Great. Fantastic. Sean went in there with, with Stafford and slang that rock. What if he could have that game? Probably 120 yards, if not more. So Puka had five for 84. Cup had oh, okay. one eight for 115 in a touch. So oh, they, they combined for 13 for 200 in a touch in that game. So, yeah. They, they, and they still ran the ball well, too, with Kyron. So, they, yeah, they moved that pill up there, boys. So we ain't going to act like he just solved it. Not to say he can't, but is it the, the, Again, Pete didn't forget ball. He just it just wasn't resonating. So keep that in mind as, as well as we kind of tout Coach Mike. He's still got to show and prove when it comes to that guy down in L.A. Mar wants to know if there's a chance that the Seahawks draft guys from Michigan or they sign some of the guys from Michigan to the coaching staff. I don't know about the coaching staff because I'm not sure how many guys are going with Harbaugh. Or staying because they're all maybe they're all getting promotions now. I think Harbaugh might be taking the DC there. Something mentor is his name. Uh, I don't know about that. I do think you could see not even necessarily just Michigan guys, but guys that they played against, guys in the Big Ten, um, guys they may have played, you know, just on Michigan's schedule, guys that maybe he tried to recruit that year or something like that. I, I feel like you could see uh, some of that. Not a ton, but a little bit of it. It's just kind of natural. It's guys you know, guys you're familiar with, guys you had to scheme against, or guys you just liked on film because you saw them because they played for Rutgers or Illinois or whatever. Um, so I, I, I would expect some of that. In this particular draft, the one that's interesting is um, the linebacker. Let's get his name on this radar. I want to say his name is Junior. Let's go with Junior Colson. Is that his name? Yep, Junior Colson, linebacker from Michigan. He was number 25. Yep, number 25. He's a guy to keep in mind. I don't know anything about his draft stock right now. Not going to lie, guys. Been changing diapers and doing other stuff. Haven't been paying attention. But I did watch him in the CFP games. He can ball. That's a name to keep an eye on. And Chris, we didn't mention him, and it's fair not to because he didn't play. But another guy who could be, quote, unquote, maximized in the scheme is Mike Morris. Um, since he played for Mike, Mike, uh, Coach Mike, played for Coach Mike at Michigan, so he could that could be a guy potentially who he didn't he didn't have like much of a foundation. We only saw him for one game, but let's he could be a quote unquote maybe breakout guy because if okay. anybody knows how to use him, yes, you know, him. yeah, it could be uh, Coach Mike. Robert Christensen, what are the major scheme differences that Seahawks fans will see in Week One next season? Yeah, I don't. This is a good question, Robert. Uh, I, I really don't think it'll be like, oh man, look, this is all different because the nuances of coverages are so, um, so small sometimes. Sometimes just the the shade of the of the um, or the technique of the the nose versus the three or the four eye, like just so much little stuff that you're just not gonna notice um, right off right off rip unless somebody's explaining it to you. Which is there's no shame in that. Football's hard. It's complicated as hell. Um, so just don't worry about that. I, I think the, the, the main thing to look for 
is adaptability. Like being able to be like, all right, let's say week one. Who's a team on this schedule, Chris? Who do they have? They have Cardinals. Uh, yeah. We'll play the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. That might be requiring doing some some different stuff. Um, they may be wanting to spread it out. They may be wanting to go heavy. Then the next week, you might have to play the Rams. And the Rams, they've transformed themselves. Before, they were like a, a stretch run kind of play action off that team. And now they just run it right at you. Um, you got to be ready for that. So it's going to be more about adaptability on a week-to-week basis than it is like, ooh, look at this. We running uh, under front now. Nice. No, 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 no. It's going to be multiple um, because it should be in this day and age. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it'll show up week one. I think it, the, the real test I think would be like, what you say, Chris, the first month, maybe to the bye week probably is the time to really look back and say, all right, what's, what, what's new about the defense. I think it's going to take us a while before we really, maybe Halloween, maybe we get to Halloween or something like that. I'm like, all right, let's Eight look back in. at yeah, eight game, eight six or something like that. What's a what's a third of their season now? It's five, like seven, ga- six games, five or six games. Yeah, five or six. Yeah, between weeks five and six. That's probably when we should really sit back and assess. We got AK. He wants to. He asked division wise, how do you feel? Mike McDonald matches up against Shanahan and McVeigh, and what do you think of the division over the next few seasons? Man, I, I, I don't know how he'll do in the division. That's tough to tell, particularly because I don't know much about Jonathan Gannon, who's the Cardinals coach, because they have a lot of money over there. They got a lot of resources over there. They got high picks, you know, so who knows? They could turn that thing around pretty fast, too. It's not that hard to go from being like four and whatever or three and whatever to being like what the Seahawks are. Getting from like three or four wins to nine wins, not that hard. Getting from nine to even 11 is not that hard. It's that next jump that's really, really, really hard. So I say that to say, man, he better figure that out quick. Um, The thing I do like, and I've talked a lot about Coach Mike in terms of how he's adaptable and whatever. The other thing I don't think we've talked about specifically is that Kyle Shanahan, what he's really good at, is he knows your rules on defense, how you'll respond to this conflict, to this motion, to this passing strength, to this condensed formation. He'll, he knows how to take that and screw it up. And that's why guys be butt naked open in his scheme. You still got to execute, but that's why. Where I see a similarity with Coach Mike, at least on film, it's not me from talking to him or anything, is that his thing is like, He'll take your protection rules, like where your where your center is gonna slide this, where your back is gonna help out, where you know how you're gonna adjust your protection based on the look we show you. He knows your rules, he'll figure them out and just toy with you. That's how they got so much pressure without blitzing a ton and without having like a TJ Watt. They were able to figure out how do you problem solve this problem we're about to create. And then we're going to adjust accordingly, which is how they got all that pressure on top of having guys execute. So that is the thing that's going to be very important in the division because, and it's going to be important to be able to get those guys to execute. Pete knew the rules. He knows what Sean McVay is trying to do. Everybody knows what Sean McVay is trying to do. Um, He knows what Shanahan is trying to do. Um, 
but they couldn't get the guys to adjust to it and solve it fast enough and consistently. Um, it just took like one motion and guys just didn't know how to fit runs anymore in Seattle. That's it. <laughs> That's all they did. Oh, Debo moved over there, huh? What do we do? Ah, damn. Well, it's a big run. I swear it, it felt like that watching the film sometimes. Like, oh, they done moved. They done moved Cooper Cup. Ah, damn. Remember, Chris, the first game of the season? That little uh, little exit motion that they yeah, were running? Two. Mm-hmm. Tutu, Puka, all these names that sound made up. It didn't look like they knew what to do with that for like the first half of the game. Um, so it sounds like we'll see if this works, that that's Mike McDonald has figured out maybe some type of thing through film study to be like, okay, here's their protection stuff. Here's how we can screw with it and execute. I think that's going to be big in the division to stop uh, those two offensive juggernauts in the Bay in LA. We have Rimsky. What does success look like for the Seahawks next season? Uh, you got to win the division. To me. Plain and simple. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you settle for anything less. Because Pete could get you third. Pete, Pete could get you second. You get you get rid of Pete because you feel like you can win it. Mm-hmm. And you feel like he couldn't. To me. I feel like there's no other. Every year, that's the, that's the expectation. You're not going to go to the Super Bowl every year. You're not going to play in the NFC Championship every year. That's dumb. You just can't. You, that's that, that's unrealistic expectation. But you can expect to compete for and win your division every year for the Seahawks. There's no reason to take a step back, to me. Or I guess that would that would be a step forward. But you you, you know you get my point. You you should be competing to win a division. And if you're not competitive within a division, why well, get rid of Pete? Right. So yeah, that's it. And if anybody tells you different, they lie. That that's the that's the starting point. Win the division. That's success right there. Nick Shargus, do you think Geno stays? Yeah, man. I just I just can't imagine. Here's my thing with Geno, and this is going to make me sound like a uppity know-it-all, right? But no one who actually – if if you – Chris, if you can think of somebody or if you guys listening right now can think of somebody, go ahead and tweet, tweet it to me. Tweet me the example. But I haven't seen anyone who actually watches film of the Seahawks be against bringing back Gino. It's all people who are just like, just like, oh, I watched the games. Gino ain't it. Let's move on. And it's like, that's fine if that's your position. But I just haven't seen anyone informed be like, nah, this guy Gino ain't it. It's guys I respect who watch the games and watch the film of it and understand, you know, reads and protections and, and coverages and are just like, oh man, Gino's really good. You know, and I just can't find anyone credible to say anything otherwise. Maybe you guys can find it. I can't think of it because when I'm watching the film and other people are watching the film and everyone's like, oh, man, Gino's really good or Gino's a lot better than what people think. It's all people who are watching. And I ain't found nobody who's watching that thinks otherwise. So I have no I say that to say I have no reason to believe that Coach Mike, John Snyder, the new OC, presumably they will watch film. I believe that's what they do. They're going to watch the same film all of us are watching and be like, huh, this guy seven's okay. We'll be all right with him. And you can just see it. I don't see no difference. It, Chris, I don't know where you fall on that. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but I watched the quarterbacks in the NFC in this playoff run. I didn't see nobody do nothing I don't think Geno can do. Yeah, I had that discussion with a friend. I was like, bruh. 
you're telling me if Gino was with the Lions, they wouldn't be in the same position? Same spot, Bob. Same spot. And the same crazy spot. thing is, it's not as if Gino lost to Jared twice. Gino beat Jared. <laughs> That just shows it's not as if Gino is the problem or Jared Goff is just miles better. I mean, if you want to be real, they're in the same tier, and you can make the case that Gino's a little bit better. He can move in the pocket more. He can do a little – you can just run the offense a little differently. That's not to say I think that his arm's stronger too. It's another yeah. great point. But, yeah, yeah that's – I would simply say that, yeah, it's not – a canyon wide separation between Patrick Mahomes or not, excuse me, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, and Geno Smith. Yeah. I think, right. I think the AFC quarterbacks, that would, those guys, I think those guys are playing on a higher level. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's, yeah. that's AFC a canyon, was a little different. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. dudes AFC. are elite. It's Joe Burrow, Patrick, and Lamar. Although, unfortunately, Joe got hurt. So, and Josh, know. too. I think just, oh, yeah. this, just looking at these playoffs, like Lamar hooped in that first game and then, Josh played really well, and Patrick played really well. And so, yeah, I think even yeah. CJ in that first game played really well. But I think in the NFC, man, we saw Jordan Love do. Gino do that. We see him Brock do. Yeah, Gino could do that. Um, Brock played really well in the title game. Um, but, like, yeah, we seeing those guys. I didn't see my takeaway from the, the playoffs and the NFC in particular. I'm ignoring the AFC because it's the other conference. My takeaway from that was, man, you can – if you build it, the quarterback don't need to be Mahomes. Really, the, the 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 Packers have built around that pretty well. Built around Love. The Lions have built an amazing roster around Golf. The Niners roster, we know what that is around their quarterback. Even the the Cowboys roster around Dak. Dak is who wet the bed over there. It wasn't the supporting cast. Geno could have definitely done that. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying Geno is just as good as I think. Probably Dak is the only person I'm like, oh okay, he's, he's definitely better, but. I mean, I ain't seen nothing from no Baker. See, I ain't seen nothing different from that Baker was doing that Geno can't do, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, and I haven't seen anyone else credible say otherwise, you know? So I'm, stick, I'm sticking with that. I think Geno's going to be the guy. doesn't mean they won't draft a quarterback in this draft. I imagine they will. But, yeah, I don't see them getting rid of Geno. Last but not least, Dennis Gill. With McDonald as head coach, can we call Lumen Field the farm? <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, isn't something else the farm? Who's the farm? It's a college team. Who's the farm? Oh, it's uh, is that Stanford? Who's the farm? Oh, yeah, we're gonna sound like idiots for not knowing this at the top of our head. Um, I really want to say it's Stanford. Oh, I think it's Stanford Stadium. It's Stanford. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Can't be the can't be the farm. Um, but I like that. I like the thinking. Yeah, maybe, we, quick. On your feet. maybe, maybe we could maybe it could be the barn. Maybe that's it. No, nah, barn's not intimidating. Welcome that's to not, the barn. <laughs> it can't be the loo. Ain't that the bathroom? I think ain't the, ain't the loo the bathroom in another language or, or another? Yeah, it is. I don't know. I speak I English. <laughs> I think uh, that's where it starts and ends. Took I Spanish think... too and ain't gone back since, bro. In high school. Yeah, it's the toilet. The loo. Yeah, it's British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you went to use the loo? Yeah, know that? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, it says the loo. So you can't call it the loo. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We Go got to the, the bathroom. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, that's just awful. That's just a, a terrible. Yeah, it can't be the loop. We'll think about that. Let's brainstorm that. We got all offseason to think about that. We can't do the farm, though, because, yeah, that's 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 taken. But let's think of something else. Uh, Mac for House. For Loomfield. Yeah, see, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Max yeah, Crib. <laughs> Welcome to Max Crib. That that assumes that he is dominant, you know. Yeah, you, you got to win some games to get nicknamed. You got to win some games right here. Uh, four and four and thirteen does not give you the name. Welcome to Max Crib. Yeah, we'll we'll think on that. That's a good question, though. But definitely not the farm. Farm's taken. So we'll we'll, yeah, think, of something. we'll yeah. think of something. We'll think of something else. Um, that's a good good question. We'll brainstorm on that. Well, there you have it. Those are all the Twitter questions. And again, we thank every single one of you for taking the time to ask us questions. We appreciate all the love and support. Mike is about to hit some vacation, and shoot, by the time Mike gets back, we'll have brainstormed so much stuff that we'll we'll get the go get recording and have some guests for you guys. It's, it should be a fun off season, especially now with Mike McDonald as the new head coach. So it'll it'll be exciting, and I'm sure Mike has a bunch planned story wise. So Mike, is there anything you want to add before we get on out of here? Uh, yeah, just appreciate the love and support. Um, y'all being patient as we um. Took a little little break there. Chris was out there doing his thing. I'm vacation wise. I'm gonna do my thing as well. Continue the dad thing. My daughter stayed asleep while we were recording this whole thing. It's outstanding. So proud of her for that. Um, so yeah, appreciate all the love and support. Everyone who subscribes on our YouTube channel, Seahawks Man to Man is the name of the channel. Just hit the button, hit the like, subscribe. Even if you only listen to us on whatever audio, just do it anyway. Show us some love. Um, yeah, like Chris said, I'm out of here leaving the country on paternity leave for about a month um so stories will be few and far between but appreciate the love and support on the pod and uh we'll catch you guys next time and next time we'll get coach mike's name right every time we promise all right peace tax day is coming oh no but if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.